Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Hey, welcome into the Sync Truth Podcast alongside Mike Evans. I am Mark Schlereth, Millennial Ben, producing the show. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. Bet with a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers. Stinkinggood.com for all your green chili needs as well. Mike, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. Super Bowl matchup is set. Mm. After a uh, championship weekend that was, uh, well, kind of bleh and, and definitely controversial. So where do you want to start? Uh, yeah. The bleh or the controversial? Oh, uh, let's start with the bleh, bleh and go to the controversial. All right, let's start right. with the bleh. All right, well, well, what do you take away? What do you take away Eagle from- Eagle San Francisco was bleh. And that's not San Francisco's fault, but no. it, was, it ended up being bleh. Hey, when you're down to your third quarterback and he's playing great and he gets hurt early in the game. It gets hurt early in the game, and, you know, there's nothing you can do about that, and you're bringing – hey, and the guy that was a practice squad quarterback for the Broncos that you took off their roster and Josh Johnson to come in and play for you, and then he gets hurt. I mean, like, at one point, Christian McCaffrey is the emergency quarterback. I mean, come on. you Like, you don't have a chance. It really reminded me while I was watching this game a couple of years ago here in Denver – you know, uh, Drew uh, Drew Locke and uh, the backup quarterbacks and everybody were, I don't know what they were, dicking around in, uh, in the facility or whatever, you know, quote-unquote, eating lunch and watching film and really getting better. This and is in the heart of COVID, by the way, with heart all of COVID. the protocols, strict yeah, protocols. Strict protocol. That was, what, 2019? And boom, they all get busted. They all break the code of, uh, co- no, 2020. 2020. 2020. So they all break the COVID crap protocol. went down and started in 2020. <laughs> yeah, they so they all broke uh, that broke the COVID protocol, and that was it. It was it was like the NFL basically put their foot down, and said, "Hey, nobody gets to you know nobody gets to play," and so the Broncos go into a game against New Orleans that I happen to be calling, and um, and end up not having a quarterback to play. I think Royce Freeman took the first snap, and it was him and Philip Lindsay, and then. The only guy who threw a pass, I think he threw nine. I think he was one for nine with an interception. Was uh, Kendall Hinton, and as a matter of fact, his something went into the Hall of Fame for him. Like, it, like it was I mean, the whole thing was just a, it, it was an abject disaster. And that's it's kind of what it reminded me of. You had no chance. You had zero chance. And they still played their asses off, and the and the Niners defensively played their asses off. But the bottom line, you had zero chance. But here was here was my biggest takeaway from that game, Mike is that, you know, the revisionist history of, of football, the revisionist history of, of sports in general, 
is real. Like it, it really is. It's, it's real. And we saw Philly, you know, scuffle a little bit down the stretch and their quarterback get hurt and this, that, and the other. And we saw that happen. And, and it's understandable, but it's kind of what you remember. And really what, what blew me away about that game is what Philadelphia was all year long. Just the most physically dominant run team in football. They had, they led the league in 400 plus yard offensive performances. They ran the snot out of the ball. And they've had consistently the best O line play in football. And you know what? They're big and strong. They're fast and athletic. They can play power football with the duo, duo blocks. You know, the, the duo run, It's they just call it duo. And it's double teams, like double team guard and backside center, double team guard and tackle, two tight end formation, double teams. And they're getting five yards. They're driving Kinlaw off the ball. They're driving Armstead off the ball. They are just crushing people. And the running backs are getting five yards before they're even touched by a linebacker. The linebackers got D linemen in their hips, like in their waist. And then they've got the athleticism to pull the center or pull the guards and capture the perimeter of the defense and get outside and, and you know, run the wide zone or the quarterback run out there. Like, like it was one of those reminders to me of, oh, yeah, that's right. They are really good. They're really good up front, and they're really physical, and they really know how to run the ball. I want to talk more about Philly, absolutely. Just but put a bow on San Francisco because what they did this season is remarkable sure. considering Trey Lance, sure. Jimmy Garoppolo, Brock Purdy, and then Josh Johnson, and then you got yeah Christian McCaffrey throwing a pass. I mean, that that that's what they lined up at quarterback throughout the course of the year, and yet they were in the NFC Championship game. Clearly they have a Super Bowl roster. What do they do at quarterback? Uh, yeah, that's a great question because I think most of us thought that Tom Brady would just slide in for a year. Um, I really assumed that that was going to happen, but Tom Brady breaks the bombshell and retires. A very emotional day for me, as you know. You didn't show up for work yesterday. Yeah, I'm very emotional. Um, took a while to compose myself, to gather my thoughts. I haven't put them out on uh, social media like he put his retirement out. By the on way, social folks, media. it's true. He did. Mark did not come into work yesterday. Yeah, yeah I was too. I was too distraught. It was awful. Anywho, um, and then, then you know, you broke the news to me as I was touting that I did his last game of his career, and you reminded me that he played a playoff game, <laughs> which kind of shattered that whole. I did his last regular season game. Yes, still momentous. Yeah, but it kind of. Not quite the same, yeah, right? Yeah. So what does San Francisco do? I think they really like Purdy. And obviously, they've got uh, Lance coming back. Mm -hmm. So I think those two guys are going to battle it out for the starting quarterback position. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see them bring a veteran kind of, you know, stopgap guy in, uh, a bridge quarterback veteran guy in but uh so i wouldn't be surprised to see that but i think those two guys are going to be their guys all right let's talk more about philly and i i know you love the way they play the physical nature of of what they what they do is is their model tough to build in today's nfl yeah you know one thing you, you one thing that oftentimes happens to nfl teams is when they have a position of strength 
they don't address it. And eventually what happens is that position of strength through attrition and through retirement and through injury becomes a position of weakness. And it sneaks up on NFL teams. They're like, oh, shoot. That's right. We haven't drafted in that position. We haven't developed in that position. We haven't. One thing about Philly is they've had their strength of their football team has been their offensive line for about five years. And you know what they keep doing? Keep adding to it. Landon Dickerson, first rounder. They went out and got a second rounder. Uh, I can't remember the kid's name right off the top of my head. He's played center, who's a really he's a really good player for when Jason Kelsey retires. Um, you know, they went and drafted Andre Dillard for, for four years ago or so in the first round. Like they keep addressing, they keep addressing that offensive line and developing those guys behind. You know, the great players that they have. They went out and got um, Jordan Mailata through the international you know, the international program and developed him and he's become a really good player. So they have, they have addressed those things. And even when guys, you know, even guys get injured or retire or whatever the case may be, um, they have the next guy ready to fill in and they've done a tremendous job with that. You know what you're doing? I know you're not doing it on purpose, not at all, but it almost sets up as a backhanded compliment to Jalen Hurts that in a time where we have so many dynamic quarterbacks, it's the quarterback and then the rest of the team. Mm -hmm. It's almost like this Philadelphia team is so good. Does Jalen Hurts get his just due? Right. Yeah. Uh, Cam Juergens was the center I was talking about. But again, you know, just guys that they have drafted. Diller was a first rounder. Cam Juergens was a, a second rounder. They, they have invested in that back end. Jalen Hurts has answered every question. I mean, every question. Um, you know, they were all like, hey, man, if Jalen Hurts can improve, like, he has. He's answered everyone, and this guy is this guy is incredible. I mean, he's literally incredible what he's been able to accomplish. And this, this was a dude that – in his in his run in college football, where he was a national champion, and in a divisional or whatever it was, a college semifinal round gets yanked at halftime. And I always say it's one of the one of the things I love about sports. When that guy gets yanked. Tua comes in and drives to Alabama Crimson Tide for a touchdown, and he's running down like running down the field to celebrate with Tua, like he threw the like he threw the touchdown. Like it's, and then to say, hey, man, I gotta, I'm got i going to have to go leave and, you know, finish my career at Oklahoma and still be in the Heisman running and then, you know, be a second-round pick and sit behind Carson Wentz and get my opportunity. And see, he's got an amazing story, man. He's stoic. Um, he's the son of a, of a, you know, high school football coach. And th- that kid is – the kid's got something to him. He's got something to him, man. And he's played exceptionally well. But, again – this is a, to me, this is a lesson in football. You've got a really good roster. Where are they? They're in the NFC Championship against another team with a really good roster. Wasn't the first overall draft pick at quarterback. A guy that was a seventh-round Mr. Irrelevant and a guy who was a khaki pants second-rounder are squaring off in the NFC Championship. And arguably, when you put, you know, either of these teams on paper and there there's not one person that does what you do or does what I do. That's an analyst. 
they wouldn't tell you the two best rosters in football are San Francisco and Philadelphia. So we had the quarterbacks then, the marquee quarterbacks in the AFC. Let's first of all address the controversy. A lot of controversy about that game. A lot of people complaining about the officiating. Mm -hmm. Zach Taylor, Bengals coach, was caught saying it's rigged. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of flags, a lot of questionable calls, non-calls. So where do you come down on the idea that uh, the game was ruined by the officials and that the uh, Chiefs uh, were were fortunate to fortunate to win thanks to the officiating and the Bengals were screwed. Boo freaking who? I get uh, one one the officiating. You know the whole the officiating is rigged and it's horrible and this that and the other. Dude, it's been it's been horrible from day one. It's awful. Nobody you're not and nobody's going to argue that point with you. It's bad. Sorry, so it's been bad all year long. Like, oh, by the way, did Wiley get a, a personal foul for jumping in somebody's face on a big play by the Kansas City Chiefs and get pulled back? Yep, he did. Right? Did that push in the back on the sideline that gave them that field goal attempt at the end of the game? Was that a legitimate call where your quarterback's two yards out of bounds and a young player who had a hell of a football game pushed him? It's 100% needs to be called every time. It's just, it's called every time. Like, the, that thing, like, were there bad calls? In the, yeah, there are bad calls in every game. And anybody, any self-respecting player that was coached properly growing up will tell you, you can never let the officials bad calls because there's going to be bad calls in every game that we're going to have to overcome. You can never let the bad calls be the reason you lose a football game. By the way, the Cincinnati Bengals got the ball twice late in that game with a chance to drive down and win that football game or put points on the board. And you know what they couldn't do? They couldn't drive down and put points on the on the. But was it the officials' fault that Zach Taylor walked away from the formula that won him a game in Buffalo in a dominant fashion? Quit running the ball, left his offensive linemen that are backups one on one. Chris Jones, is it the officials' fault that he did that? Because last time I checked, I think he's the one calling the plays. Now, I don't know. Maybe I'm stupid, which is you know, rel- which is probably 100 percent true. But like, I don't buy that. Here's the, the the only thing that I would say, Mike, that I don't that I don't like. So every every you work with a crew, right? You work as an offensive line. You and I work together. Um, there's a crew that you grow accustomed to. Guys bail each other out. Guys see. Yeah, guys know what each other's weaknesses are. Yeah, you, know, you just help. That's that's part of being a team. And so you don't take the best crew to the playoffs. You take the guys who graded out the best, and you create a whole new crew for the playoffs. That to me is stupid. Take the best crew, regardless of how they grade out individually. That the crew that grades out the best as a whole over the course of the regular season and make those guys your playoff groups. Why would you change up the whole crew for playoff games and put guys together that have never worked together? You said something interesting I want to circle back to. You you think the officiating has been bad all season long. Hmm. Why? Because I think they're, I think it's an in, impossible task. I mean, it's, you know, you're asking them to grade out things subjectively is it pi is it not pi did he turn the guy's hip did he not turn the guy's hip um was it both guys hand fighting was it one guy that established you know position or not was 
was his position severely altered or just barely altered? Like that it's, there's so much subjectivity to it. Um, you know, Hey man, I'm going to give the guy, uh, on illegal contact, I'm going to give him an extra yard and a half because that's, you know, I always felt like you should be, I'm, I'm going to be strict right at five yards. Like it, it's, it's just such a subjective job. And then the speed of the game and everything else, I just think it's a, I think it's, it's incredibly hard to call. I'm actually probably in the minority. I, I defend the officials. It is an impossible job. And, and I don't think replay has helped their mm. jobs because everything is there to be replayed again and mm. again and again. And with the emphasis on player safety coming down the way that it has. Again, I, I think it leads to these guys being, you know, hyper aware of uh, the collisions, the contact, the intent, all that stuff. And I, I think it's made them much more whistle happy, mm-hmm. flag happy. Yeah. You know, I think it's the combination of the emphasis on safety, the instant replay, it's just led to an over officiating game. And that's too bad because I, I do, I you know, I'm somebody that believes in the idea that. You get into the fourth quarter, the last couple minutes of an NBA game, a championship game, swallow the whistle. Third period of a tight hockey game in the Stanley Cup playoffs, swallow the whistle. Um, yeah, it's got. I'd be- like to see the same thing in football, but football actually does subscribe to the idea that if it's a penalty in the first, it'll be a penalty in the fourth. Yeah, I like. I I think it is. I think it's incredibly hard to officiate. I don't think they do any favors. Like. I've never been a big fan of the challenge flag system. Like, do you want to get it right, or do you only want to get it right when there's a challenge flag? You you want to throw the like, like Kyle Shanahan, who not didn't get a good replay on that. Like, number one, you should have just thrown the challenge flag. It's in the first quarter, right? The first drive on that fourth down and three to Devontae Smith. But the bottom line is, if your replay official gets that other look. And you can clearly see, why shouldn't the league just, don't you want to get it right? Why shouldn't the league just, like, they, they do those quick review things? Why isn't somebody just looking and going, oh, stop the game? Yeah. Instead of, you know, Philadelphia running up the line of scrimmage right, before you can get right, a look so right. we can snap the ball. I think it, I think we look like a clown show. Yeah. And, and like, my, my thing is, do you want to get it right all the time or as much of the time as you can? Or do you only want to get it right? Like, do you have a challenge flag? Like, I think we look silly, like silly as a league when the players jump up and you run up line of scrimmage to see if you can snap it really fast before the coach can throw the challenge flag out. Like, I, I just think it looks silly. Greatest performance of Patrick Mahomes' career? Wow. Um, an unbelievable performance to be sure. Um Listen, man, having played with, a, you know, a, a high ankle sprain and understanding the pain of, of doing that and understanding, like, what that feels like and then to lose Juju Smith-Schuster, to lose McCole Hardman, to lose the majority of your receiving core and, and to basically be able to will yourself or will your team to a, a win, incredible. To know that you don't have the improvisational skills that you normally have, to know that the off-schedule stuff is probably not going to be there like it's been in the past because of your limitations from an injury standpoint and still being able to gut that up and gut that win out, um, 
it was that that was a spectacular performance. And then, like just when I quit hating the Bengals, I mean, just when I said, you know what, Mark, you're gonna have to let go of you know the Bengals suck and you know they've always sucked and you know blah 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 and and I love Joe Burrow because Joe Burrow's got some balls to him, you know and. So, you know, just, I said, that's it. You know what? I'm going to quit my, my, for whatever reason, you know, it's like the, the, the Bengals, come on, who gives a crap? Like when they, it goes back to my playing career, like you're like, uh, who cares? They, they got nothing but first rounders all over the place and they ain't worth a score to piss. Right. So I was like, that, what? And I was like, no, 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 damn it. You're going to let the past of the biases of the past go. And you're just going to embrace this Bengals team. And I even picked the Bengals to win and, Man, I, I was singing their praises for like four straight days. And then they took a dump in their helmets and they couldn't they couldn't act like they'd been there before and they couldn't show any maturity and and they they gotta have, you know, talking about Burrowhead and they gotta have the mayor spouting off his stupidity and like all all that stuff going on and I'm like, why did I like why? Why? You know what? You got me. I fell for the banana in the tailpipe. I bought into you guys. And that's what you that and that's how you repay me. Won't make that mistake again, no, will you? No. We'll of course have uh, all next week to uh, dive into Chiefs and um, Eagles, but uh, we got some other stories, um, like the goat retiring this time for real. I know Tom Brady. I I just say Tom Brady. Where, Tom, where, where do you go from there? I mean, the the greatest quarterback ever to play, and dude, one of one of the great dudes. And just great. Yeah, who is the real Tom Brady? Because I, I, I think over the years, all those years in New England, everything's so buttoned up, evil empire type stuff, that he never really became embraceable until late in his career. Uh, he was easy for a lot of people to hate, right, and to root against. Mm-hmm. Uh, so who's the real Tom Brady? Tom Brady, this is one of the reasons I thought Tom Brady would come back and play because the only place Tom Brady can be real, can be a dude, can be the guy that he is, and he's a guy's guy, is in the locker room. That's it. And I'm telling you, man, like calling his games and meeting with him, you know, having these production meetings with him and doing all the stuff that, that you know, that I get to do on a week-to-week basis calling NFL games for Fox. Dude, he is just a dude, man. He loves football. He loves talking about football. He loves thinking about football. He loves the locker room. He loves his teammates. He loves being connected. Um, you know, you talk to you talk to guys that are, you know, on Hall of Fame trajectories. Guys like Mike Evans walks in, sits in a production meeting with me and says, dude, I had to pick my game up. I've been to whatever, five, six straight Pro Bowls in a row. Tom Brady rolls in. I got to pick my freaking game up. Like, that dude, like, as much as he holds people on this team accountable, like, there's nobody that holds himself more accountable than Tom Brady. And, like, the the overall, just call it reverence for the guy in the locker room, for the way he works. But then... Just the relational aspect of Tom Brady, like the way he interacts with guys and the way he hangs out with guys and rookies and young players. And like he just he loves it. And the thing that blows me away more than anything else 
is all the success. You know, 10 times you've been to the Super Bowl, seven times you've won the damn thing. You've been the MVP however many times. Um, all the success, you've never been sated by. You've always had that chip on your shoulder. You've always tried to outwork everybody. You've always had that attention to detail. You've just always been that guy. You know, and I tell you what, that that's probably the most impressive thing to me is you've always had that level of commitment so much so that you know, let's let's face it, probably cost you your marriage, um, to a degree. I mean, I, I'm you know I, I'm sure there's a lot of things we don't know behind the scenes, but dude, I have just I have nothing but the utmost respect for him as a player, obviously, but as a guy, like just as a like he's just a he's a dude, man, and he's he's been fun to kind of quote unquote get to know over the last you know over the last few years. Last big story of the week. There are plenty of stories, and and we'll have more time to chop it up next week. But uh, Sean Payton coming yeah. out of the uh, TV booth studio to be the head coach of the Denver Broncos. I love the move. It was my top choice from from day one. I think this is an instant game changer mm-hmm. for the Broncos. Again, you know Sean Payton really right. well. You've gotten a chance to see and, and interact with him behind the scenes. What are the Broncos getting? Getting one of the best coaches in the National Football League. Um, the guy's an unbelievable game planner. He, uh, is large and in charge. Um, he, he not only creates an atmosphere of, of education and understanding and football acumen. Um, there's a reverence for what he is and what he's done. And there's also a fear in what he is and what he's done and, and what he will do. Um, you don't perform either as a player or a coach. You just don't play for Sean Payton. It's pretty easy. And it's fair. And, like, this this guy is, you know, this guy is a football savant. He loves football. Um, I've had the chance, you know, to, to know him for the last 10 or 12 years and to spend time with him and to consult for the Saints and to just uh, – have a bunch of production meetings with him and call some of his games. And I, I just, I mean, I am so excited and so happy. And you know what? He'll he'll create an atmosphere and a culture here of accountability and work. Can and, he fix Russell Wilson? Yeah, because one thing that Sean has taught me about football, probably more than anything else, is, hey, a lot of young coaches or a lot of coaches, you know, see something they want to attack, and it's so juicy they can't help themselves. And your first responsibility as a coach is to not attack the weakness of the opponent as much as it to mitigate your own weaknesses and to make sure that you don't succumb to some disaster. Like, put a guy in a position to lose. Don't be surprised when he loses. You're the dumbass that put him there. And I think one of the big things you see all the time is coaches would be like, oh, man, this is so juicy. We can't let this go, right? This is such a great matchup. We're going to win here. Yeah, but our you know right tackle or our running back can't pick that blitz up. He's not good at that. Uh, it's okay. We'll hold up. We'll hold up. We just got to hold up. We got to hold up. And ultimately, you know what happens? Strip sap, fumble, touchdown the other way. That's what happens. And Sean would be like, no, we're gonna we're gonna move on from that because our our running back or our tight end can't block one on one on a defensive end. Can't get done. We, we can't get that done. So we're not gonna do it. And 
you know, saying that, you know, like there's a revisionist history to, oh, you know, you only won one Super Bowl and you had a Hall of Fame quarterback. And Drew Brees wasn't a Hall of Fame quarterback until Drew Brees met up with Sean Payton and became a Hall of Fame quarterback. Like he wasn't on a Hall of Fame trajectory when when the San Diego Chargers decided to draft Phillip Rivers and replace Drew Brees a year and a half later. Um, when the Miami Dolphins, after a shoulder surgery, a shoulder issue, said, no, nah, we'd rather go with Dante Culpepper than Drew Brees. Like Drew Saban Brees, made that call. Yeah. Drew Brees became a Hall of Fame quarterback under the tutelage of one Sean Payton. So let's not get that twisted. Let's not use that revisionist history there. Hey, Drew Brees is great. There's no question about it. Sean Payton is a great coach. And I say that to say he will take Russell Wilson and say, here are the things that you do well. We're going to live here. We're going to change formations. We're going to do a bunch of things, but this is where we're going to live. Boom. Here's the things you don't do well. You may think you can do them. You may want to do them. You can't do them. You're not good at them. And therefore, guess what? You're not going to get to do them. You got a problem with it? You can sit on the bench. Boy, how refreshing is that? Right. (laughs) How refreshing is that? Makes such perfect sense, but you'd be amazed at how few coaches actually can right can do it and actually believe in it right it it is you know it's it's the old say I don't know if this is I'm saying this right but it um it's simple but it ain't easy yeah. right if you don't have the gravitas and you don't have the respect and you don't have the reverence and you don't have the fear then the answer's simple but it ain't easy this one is easy Hey, thanks for listening so much to the uh, Stinkin' Truth Podcast. For Mike, I am Mark from Millennial Ben. We, uh, we appreciate you, and we'll be back with you guys next week. Thanks, guys.